As you're turning to Acts chapter 9, I want to introduce somebody to you. Uh, His name is Saul of Tarsus. Uh, We read about him in Acts chapter 9, but Acts chapter 9 is not the first place that we are introduced to Saul of Tarsus. Through of the Hebrews, he was a student of Gamaliel that we find in Acts chapter 5. He was a Pharisee. He was uh, very educated, very qualified, very zealous, very intense after the things of God as he understood them. And Saul of Tarsus was standing there on that day in Acts chapter 7 when that mob stoned Stephen. Stephen was preaching the gospel. He was preaching a gospel that was offensive to many and the crowd stoned him to death. And the word of God records for us that there was a man named Saul of Tarsus who stood there and held the coats of those that were winding up and throwing rocks to kill Stephen. This Saul of Tarsus was very serious, like I said, about the things of God as he understood them to be. Saul of Tarsus is here in Acts chapter 9 confronted with Jesus, and he is changed forever. Saul of Tarsus goes on to be a man that you know as Apostle Paul. He writes about 13 letters in what we have as the New Testament. And this is a pivotal moment in his life. In fact, this account that is recorded first in Acts chapter 9 is also recorded in two other places in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 22, uh, Paul retells this story to a mob uh, in the temple. And in Acts chapter 26, Paul recounts this story and tells it to King Agrippa. In spite of great learning, in spite of sitting at the feet of Gamaliel all those years and being trained in order to be a Pharisee and to be a doctor of the Mosaic law, Saul was spiritually blind. In spite of all the education and all the credentials that he had, Saul was spiritually blind. Makes me think of that saying we say sometimes, get an education and then get over it. Well, Saul of Tarsus hadn't gotten over it yet, but we're about to find out how he does. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 in the New King James Version says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way... Whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Now, Lord, there is a, uh, as a term of respect, so we would understand it probably best as saying, who are you, sir? Who are you, Lord? Who are you, sir? Because he didn't know what was going on. Jesus, whom you are persecuting, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. I want to pause for a moment and tell you that that word goads, in the, New King, in the King James Version, it says uh, pricks. It's talking about a, a stick or some kind of device that they would use to poke uh, livestock and get them to move. Anybody ever worked cows before? Worked livestock. Sometimes you got to have, it's not one of these, but you got to have something that where you got to poke them and get them moving. That's what God is describing to the Apostle Paul. He's saying, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. He said, I've been dealing with you. I've been provoking you. I've been prodding you. I've been goading you, Saul, and you haven't responded so far. So here I am. I've knocked you down flat on the road to Damascus. 
So verse 6 says, So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and it will be told what you must do. And the, man, the men who journeyed with Saul stood speechless, hearing a voice, say, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But when they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. This is one of those days that changed everything for a person. There's three questions in this passage. I want to give each of them some attention this morning. But I'm going to unapologetically preach to the hungry today. And reach for those who are interested in the message today. I want you to, I'm just going to trust that the Holy Ghost is going to stir and provoke the comfortable into hunger and interest during the message today. I'm just going to unapologetically say, I'm not reaching for somebody who is not interested. I'm not concerned if you're not hungry. I can't make you hungry for the things of God. Only the Spirit of God can do that. I'm just going to release the Holy Ghost to do what only He can do, and I'm just going to do what only I can do. Is that all right this morning? You may be seated. I want to preach for a little while this morning from that passage. When you see Jesus. When you see Jesus. We've all heard the saying. Maybe you've said it before. I find myself saying it pretty regularly. Don't ask questions you don't want the answer to. Anybody ever lived that out before? Anybody had to remind somebody? They ask a question, they're like, listen, if you don't want the answer, don't don't ask the question. I'm convinced that many times, even though we know the truth of that statement, that many times we still do ask the question. And sometimes we receive an answer even from the Lord that we were not prepared for. The Word of God says in Acts chapter 9 verse 1 that Saul breathing threats, that, that language, that breathing, that should bring to mind that it's, it's an animalistic type of, like when there's an animal and it's upset, if we're talking about, later he talks about goats, he talks about poking and prodding. If we're talking about a large animal uh, like, like a, uh, a cow or something, when, when they're upset, when they're mad, when they're worked up, they've got that hot breath, that breathing. That's the kind of thing that Saul, that's the thing that the Word of God uses to describe the mindset that Saul was in. Saul was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the church. He was worked up. There was an intensity. He was decidedly angry about what the church was doing and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so with a commission... From the high priest in Jerusalem. And with letters conducting him. Of how to accomplish his mission in Damascus. Saul of Tarsus sets off for Damascus. To look for anybody. Men or women. It didn't matter. Who would be of the way. Or the disciples of Jesus Christ. If he could find any among the synagogues in Damascus. And in that time period. There was a large population in Damascus. Probably 30 or 40 synagogues. This was a target rich environment. That Saul was on his way to. And he was breathing out threats and murder against the church. But then Acts chapter 9 shows up. And there's a different chain of events. 
that unfolds. And there's a progression of conversation in the first nine verses of this chapter. Saul finds himself flat on his back on the road to Damascus. Let me pause for a minute. We've been reading the book of Acts, and I've been encouraging you to read these scriptures closely. How many have ever heard this story told that Saul was knocked off his horse? Right? There's no horse in the, in the, in the passage. Okay? Nowhere in this passage is there any suggestion whatsoever that Saul was riding a horse. Now, I'm not saying he wasn't riding a horse, but it doesn't say that. So I'm, I'm only pausing to say, read the word of God closely. Okay? Don't, don't necessarily try to put details that aren't there. Just slow down and read. That's part of the plan. Amen? Slow down. Slow down. See what's there. Not what we think is there, but what is actually there. That's important. That was just for free. He's flat on his back on the road to Damascus. He's blinded by this light. He can't see anything. It's such a blindness that he eventually, the word of God tells us, that he ends up being blind for three whole days, Sister Kalen. Three days Saul is blind in Damascus because of this flash of light that he sees that knocks him flat on his back on the road to Damascus. And in that moment where he's laying there and he's wondering, he's stunned, what is going on from heaven? And the voice says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? There's that formal double use of his first name where it is absolutely for the purpose of getting his attention. He says, Saul, Saul, much in the same way in the Old Testament, when God is trying to get the attention of somebody, he'll say, Abraham, Abraham, Moses, Moses. In times of deep emotion or anguish, you'll even see David, when he loses his son, say, Absalom, Absalom. It's that kind of moment that Saul finds himself here in Acts chapter 9. It's that kind of moment that you can have here today. I already said a moment ago, it's not an accident that you're here today. I've come with a word from the Lord for somebody. You've been wondering if God still knows about you, if God remembers you. God's been dealing with you about things that no one else knows about. And he's been provoking you. And he's been prodding you and goading you. Maybe at the midnight hour. Maybe in those quiet moments where nobody else is around. And you haven't spoken to anybody about it. But I'm here to tell you in the Holy Ghost today, God's been working on you. And God has a word for you today. God. God wants to take your life and transform it and take your plans and do something better. Saul found himself in one of those kind of moments in Acts chapter 9. One of those Abraham, Abraham moments. Except it's personalized for Saul. And God says, Saul, Saul. I want to pause just again because I can't get away from it this morning. Somebody, maybe multiple somebodies under the sound of my voice this morning. Jesus has been calling your name. Maybe in a quiet moment that's as quiet as the one right here where you don't have anything plugged into your ears and there's no radio going, there's no TV on, and there's no background noise. And it's just one of those quiet moments God's been calling your name. And there is a witness here today, and I want to stand here and ask you, beg of you in the Holy Ghost, don't take a tone-deaf approach to the scriptures this morning and miss the call that God is wanting to confirm with you today through this word. Some here today have been hearing like Saul, Saul, Saul. 
Will you see Jesus today? Or will you go past and just go about your business? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul responds to that question, sir. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now you have to really put yourself and just use your spiritual. Did you know we have to have an imagination to live for God? You do. You have to have an imagination for, to live for God. Here's how I know. The Bible says that you need to treat your neighbor as yourself. You have to imagine how you would like to be treated and then treat your neighbor accordingly. You have to, have, you have to be able to do some of what I'm talking about right now. Just imagine being in Saul's shoes. Saul is intensely pursuing the things of God as he knows them to be true, according to his level of revelation at that time. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, he thought Jesus was this rabble-rouser, this, this insurrectionist, this person who tried to overthrow. The, he, he was crucified, and he was dead and in the grave. But there were these lunatic people that thought that Jesus had risen from the grave, and they're going around, and they're in the synagogues, and they're upsetting the apple cart, and they're teaching all this false doctrine, and Saul is upset about it. Saul is mad about it. No one is more of a protector of sound doctrine than Saul of Tarsus is. Saul says, not in my house, not in my synagogue. I'm not going to permit it. Everyone else might be willing to sit on their hands and just let history unfold. But I'm going to go to arms against this false doctrine. I'm going to snuff out this church of Jesus. He finds himself that day blinded by a light asking, who are you? That's calling my name. Who in the world am I persecuting? Who's calling my name on this road to Damascus? And Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And in that moment, you just have to imagine this is such a landmark moment in Saul's life. Because he gains four different revelations in this moment alone. The first and most important is the revelation that Jesus is alive. We can overlook, I, I paused and I asked you to imagine putting yourself in his shoes because we can let that get old, be old news to us. We'll, set, we'll say, ah, you know, of course Jesus is alive. Of course. Go on, tell me something new, tell me something fresh, tell me something that's, that I've never heard before. But I just want to pause on this Sunday morning and make sure that you know and that it is abundantly clear Jesus is alive. He is alive and well. He's seated on the throne. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. So it doesn't matter what you walked in with today that seems like it's overwhelming you. It doesn't matter what it is, how many forces of the enemy are arrayed against you today. Jesus can take care of it because Jesus is alive. He is alive. And because he is alive, it's worth being a part of his church. The second revelation that Saul got that day was not just that Jesus was alive, but that he learned, Saul learned, that he wasn't just persecuting the church and the saints and the disciples, but in doing so, he was actively persecuting Jesus himself. Brother Dustin, why does that matter? Why is that a distinction worth making? It's a distinction worth making because of this. This is why we would do well 
to also get this revelation is that when you gossip against somebody or you slander them or you try to do some kind of injury or harm to a member of the church body, you are not just persecuting them, but you are actively laying a hand on Jesus Christ. Don't take my word for it. It's what Jesus said. It's what the book said. He didn't say, you're persecuting. Imagine what a sobering moment that must have been. Because Saul, in a moment, in a blink, has come to the revelation that Jesus is alive. That Jesus is the God of his ancestors manifested in the flesh and that he is alive. And I've been persecuting him. Not the people, but him. In the same way that we'll sometimes say that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood and we'll cast it in the negative and say the warfare we're doing isn't about warring against people, but it's about warring against evil spirits and powers of darkness. It goes the other way too. That when we do things against one another in the church, we are not persecuting one another, but we're persecuting him. What a powerful realization that must have been for Saul that day. The third realization that Saul received was not just that Jesus was alive and not just that he himself had been persecuting Jesus, but that Jesus had been working on him for a long time. He says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. What that tells me is that he'd been working on Saul for a long time. He'd been provoking Saul for a long time. There's some under the sound of my voice this morning that this isn't the first time that God's dealt with you. God's dealing with you right now in this place, but this moment right here isn't the first time this week or this month that God's been dealing with you. The Lord's been dealing with you all month. The Lord's been calling your name all month. He's been trying to get your attention all month. And I have to imagine... That in that moment where, the, where Saul of Tarsus was laid flat on his back and he was just in that moment. That the first thing that his mind flashed back to was that day where they stoned Stephen. God sent a man to Saul named Stephen who preached the gospel, who didn't hold anything back. And Saul stood there and held the coats of the people as they gathered up rocks and threw them and stoned Stephen to death. God had been working on Saul. He'd been working on Saul. Have you ever heard that, that joke, that story about the guy that was drowning and, and someone threw him a life preserver and he said, ah, you know, keep it. My God will save me. You know? And then the helicopter, the guy in the boat comes by and he's like, no, 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 my God will save me. And then the guy in the helicopter comes by, and he's like, no, 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 my God. And he drowns. And he gets to heaven, and he's like, God, why didn't you help me? And God's like, I sent you a life preserver and a boat and a helicopter. Saul had gotten all the signs. Saul was more educated in the Old Testament law than anybody else. He received a top education. He knew the word of God frontwards and backwards. If anybody should have seen the revelation of the mighty God in Christ, it should have been old Saul. If anybody should have heard and seen the passion of a man like Stephen who was willing to die for the message of Jesus and recognized in that moment that maybe, just maybe, there's something to this gospel, it should have been Saul. But Saul goes on, like we are sometimes so prone to do, 
presses past all the warning signs, all the life preservers, all the boats, all the helicopters, finds himself flat on his back on a road to Damascus, confronted with the reality that Jesus is alive, that he has been persecuting him, and that this is not the first time that Jesus has worked on him. The fourth thing is that Saul had a revelation that I have to change my ways. As a result of all these other three things that I now know to be true, that Jesus is alive, that I've been persecuting his church, and that he's been reaching for me for a while now, I have to repent. I have to change my ways. It's very hard for uh, someone to change. You have to recognize the kind of person that Saul was. That's why I took a moment at the beginning of the message and I tried to introduce him to the best of my ability. Saul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was very self-righteous. He was very convinced of himself. And repentance is never easy, but it is always necessary. Saul had to change his mind about something. Let me ask you, when was the last time you changed your mind about something? I'm not talking about, like, what am I going to have for lunch? Like, ah, I thought I was going to go get a taco, but then I decided, I changed my mind, so I was going to have a hamburger. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something serious. When's the last time you changed your mind about something that mattered? It's probably been a while. You know why? Because it's hard. It's not easy to do. It's not comfortable to do. But that's the position that Saul found himself in. And brothers and sisters, it's the same position that we find ourselves in anytime we are in the presence of God. God is calling on us. He's wanting to take things away. He's wanting to add new things. But it takes us having a posture of repentance and saying, Lord, I thought I had everything figured out, but I didn't. I know. That's not, I know. You're, I mean, I'm, I'm made out of the same stuff. I don't like admitting I was wrong. I don't like saying, hey, I thought I had it all figured out, but guess what? I don't, and I've been acting dumb, and I've been going the wrong direction, and I've been doing things my way, and I thought I was, I thought I was doing it his way, but it turns out I was just doing it my way, and I was throwing his label on top of it, and God just wrecked everything and made me understand that this whole time I thought I was doing it his way, I was actually doing it my way. And I'm going to have to just lay flat and repent for a while and find an altar and not make it just to lay me down to sleep prayer that I get down at an altar for three or four minutes on a Sunday morning. But I'm going to have to lay flat somewhere until there's a puddle of snot and tears, until God moves in my life and does something that is real and sovereign and changes my mind. That's where Saul found him. Saul is a classic example. Of somebody who is sincere, but is sincerely wrong. If you ever needed to see a picture, a portrait of somebody who is sincere about the things of God, but who is sincerely wrong. Brothers and sisters, look no further than Acts chapter 9 and a man named Saul of Tarsus. But when he saw Jesus, when he saw Jesus, there was a realization that he'd been wrong. How terrifying it must be when you recognize that everything you thought you were doing for God, you were actually doing against God. That's what sin is. That's what sin is. 
And we all arrive at that same place and that same realization, that same conviction. If there was ever anyone who came to the end of himself and could be described as poor in spirit, it's Saul. Because in this one solitary moment, all this revelation compounded and piled down on Saul. And he found himself in a position where he was what the Bible says, poor in spirit. He was at the end of himself. And he was wondering which way to go. When you see Jesus, it's possible to disregard all that other business that you've been dealing with. Here's what the apostle said. The, Saul would eventually become the apostle Paul. And here's what he wrote in the book of Philippians. He said, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. When you see Jesus, it's possible to take all that other stuff that you've accumulated, all the ways that you thought were right, all the things you thought were going the way they should, but when you see Jesus and Jesus just turns everything upside down and you find yourself in a place where you need to repent and you need to make sure that you're pursuing God and you are in alignment with him, God can do it in an instant if you will come to him with contrition and say, God, everything that I thought I had gained, I count it all as loss. Verse 6 says, so Saul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? I want to go back to what I said a moment ago. Don't ask questions you don't want the answer to. Saul, trembling and astonished, asked, Lord, what do you want me to do? It's only when we're in the posture of being trembled and astonished that you dare ask that third question. If you are here today and you have a thought to ask God, Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, what's your direction for my life? How many want to be in the will of God? How many believe that being in the will of God is the most important thing? How many believe that we're living in a day and an hour where we need to be in the will of God no matter what the cost? I know. We're unified around that. But here's what I want to tell you today. If you have a thought today to ask Jesus, Lord, what would you have me to do? But you are not in the posture of being trembling to respond correctly. Because it's only when we reach the place of awe and wonder and worship. It's only in the place when we say, God, I'm trembling in your presence. I have a fear of the Lord. I recognize that Jesus is alive. He is the mighty God. He is all by himself. He is I am that I am. He holds everything in his hands. All power and authority has been given unto him. I'm trembling in his presence. I have a fear of God. I'm astonished at who he is. It's only when you reach that place and that posture that you dare ask the question, Lord, what would you have me to do? Don't ask the question if you're not ready to do something with the answer. Because here's what happens. Let me give you a solemn warning this morning. If you ask the question, but you're not ready to do something with the answer, you put yourself in a position where you are in open disobedience to the will of God. You understand? 
There's conviction falling this morning because there's been times when you've asked God, Lord, what would you have me to do? And you've done it casually. And you've received a word from the Lord. And because we were not in a posture of being trembling and astonished, you've done nothing with it. And you've put yourself in a position where you've been in rebellion against the will of God. And the Lord, can we, can we lift our hands right now? I just pray the Lord bring it to our remembrance. Lord, if there's something in the name of Jesus, would you pray that with me? God, if there's something, Lord, that you've spoken into my life. Lord, if there's a word that you've given me, it doesn't matter if it's been days, weeks, months, or years ago. Lord, if there's been a word that you've spoken to me because I asked the question and you answered God. Lord, if I haven't done what I should have done with it. Lord, if I haven't been obedient to it as much as I should have been. Lord, bring it to my remembrance, God, because I do not want to be in open rebellion against the will of God. I want to be in alignment with you, Jesus. Lord, bring me to that place where I'm trembling and astonished at who you are, God. Here's what I feel. I feel that there's a concern in the room. There's an ejection in the room because there's someone here today that you have a concern about timing. And you're saying, you know what? It's, it's, it's November. It's the week of Thanksgiving. The timing's just not right. I just don't know if I'm in a part turning my life in a different direction right now. The timing just doesn't seem right, Brother Dustin. There's echoes in this passage of Isaiah chapter 6. If you know your Bible, you know what I'm talking about. Isaiah chapter 6 is where Isaiah has that vision, that vision of God in his splendor on his throne. And the train fills the temple. And you know when it happened? The timing wasn't great. It starts off and says, in the year that King Uzziah died, in a period of national mourning, in a period where things were upheaval and things were out of turn and no one knew what was coming next God gave a vision to the man of God Isaiah and started to speak some things into Isaiah's life and Isaiah's life was never the same it's the same thing that happens to Saul it's the same thing that God wants to do with you and me and time is not a factor timing is not a factor God will do things when he sees fit. God's timing is different than our timing. And if you're here under the sound of my voice this morning, I want to say it all over again. It is absolutely not an accident that you are here. It is no accident that God is bringing to remembrance the things that he has spoken to you. It is no accident that last night or the night before that, God was dealing with you and he was calling your name. None of those things are on accident. And here's the danger that we can fall into as the musicians come. The last three verses of this passage that we read, verses 7, 8, and 9. Saul saw Jesus. He saw Jesus. And he was changed forever. He was astonished and trembling and he asked that question. Lord, what would you have me to do? And Jesus gave him the answer and Saul was obedient to it. And the trajectory of his life was changed forever. But there were some other people on the road that day. 
Verse 7 says, the men who journeyed with Saul stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. They heard a voice, but they did not see Jesus. I'm here to tell you today, you can see Jesus. You can see Jesus. When you see Jesus, everything can change. Can I reel it back to the absolute foundational basics for just a moment? When you see Jesus, you see the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And when you see Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection, what you're looking at is the pattern for new life. You're looking at the pattern to be an overcomer. How do I apply that pattern to my life, Brother Dustin? If you want to apply the pattern of the death, burial, and the resurrection to your life, it's as simple as repenting of your sins, being baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, which is a type of burial, and then being resurrected by the infilling of God's Spirit. When you see Jesus, anything is possible. There were some others that day, however, that the scripture records that they heard a voice, but they did not see Jesus. To be in such close proximity to the Lord, but to completely miss the moment. It's possible to leave here today in the same exact condition that you walked in with. It's possible to leave the house of God this morning with the same condition of spiritual blindness and the same status quo that you're used to dealing with. These people that were with Saul on the road to Damascus that day had such a degree of spiritual blindness that they did not ask questions, they did not care who it was, they heard the, heard the voice, but they saw no one. They were content to keep their own worldview intact and to keep on doing things the way they'd always done things. But there are some here today that are hungry, that are interested, and it's for you that the Holy Ghost is reaching right now. Can we stand all over this room right now can we lift our hands toward heaven and say, Lord, I want to see you. Lord, I want to see you high and lifted up. Lord, I don't just want to hear a voice of a preacher today, but Lord, I want to see you. These altars are open right now. Somebody feels prompted in the Holy Ghost right now to make a move. You don't need to wait. You need to move right now. You need to step out of where you are right now. And you don't need to let the adversary gain a single moment of foothold in your life trying to convince you otherwise. You need to step out of where you are right now. And you need to find your pl a place, not in a corner somewhere, but at an altar. You need to find yourself a spot where you can see Jesus. Where you can say, God, I'm not content today just to have a partial experience. I don't want to just hear a voice but not see anybody, Jesus. Come on, is there somebody? Come on, I know there's more than just that that are hungry, that are interested. I know there's more that are saying, you know what? God's been speaking to me in the midnight hour. God's been dealing with me. I'm not content for the status quo. I'm not content.